Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of the Ecom Swipe File featuring a friend, fellow Toronto entrepreneur, the co-founder. Oh, sorry, I have it. That's okay. I, I can always retreat after, but. <laughs> welcome to our guest, Christy Sumer, the founder and CEO of Encircled, a Toronto-based uh, fashion brand and a Toronto-based fashion brand and really uh, ethically a Toronto-based fashion brand that's also very ethical uh, as well. So, Christy, do you want to introduce yourself to our audience, give us a little bit of a background on Encircled, and really, uh, I know that you post a lot about it on your personal social media, but just a quick overview for maybe, uh, maybe the listeners that aren't aware of what separates sort of the typical uh, fashion or lifestyle e-commerce brand, direct-to-consumer brand, with one uh, that is more um, consciously ethical and does make that effort in everything that you do to be um, ethically sourcing, deliver ethical customer experiences just through the whole customer life cycle um, and even supply chain, just what it means to be an ethical business. Sure. So I'll start with an intro. Hey, I'm Christy. Uh, I'm born and raised in Toronto. Uh, former management consultant. I have an MBA and a finance degree. I am like the most unlikely fashion entrepreneur out there for sure. Um, and really, I started Encircled in 2012 because I was inspired through my travels, um, basically living out of a suitcase as an entrepreneur um, as when I was consulting. Because uh, when you're a consultant, you go back and forth between client sites. You're constantly on an airplane. One year, I think I flew over 100,000 miles. Wow. Um, so I really got inspired by that idea of packing light and doing so in a stylish way um, and comfortable way, like finding that perfect blend. Um, so I started just designing pieces and I came up with this one piece. We still have it in our, excuse me, in our collection today it's called the Chrysalis Cardi. It's an eight in one multi-weight garment that turns into a scarf, a tunic, a cardigan, a top, a dress. Um, and more and it's just a really fun versatile piece so I got really obsessed with this idea and I decided you know what why not just like try it out like I'll just set up a website I'll see if I can make this um, and it kind of took off from there so in a nutshell I kind of had to figure out how to make this product and I knew that I wanted to create a business that was really aligned with my values because something that had come up for me especially in my career was that I was doing this work that I really loved, but I felt like I was working for people where not necessarily I was aligned with their values in terms of how they treated their workers and their supply chains. So it was really integral to me to have a supply chain that was built on the principles of ethical manufacturing. So everything's made in Toronto, Canada, locally. All of our production places are within 35 kilometers of our studio. Oh, wow. Um, and then it was also really important to use sustainable materials because at that time, and this is a while ago, I was starting to see the impacts when I was traveling of um, global warming and whatnot. So I felt like it was really important for me to do that part and find that perfect blend between sustainability and commerce. I think that's um, far more eloquently than I would have been able to, to, tell, to tell that story. But something that I think is just really neat and it, it kind of transitions into um, talking about, about COVID and how your business adapted, but you went from the whole reason that you started was because you were traveling so much for work, which essentially on March, April, 2020, that no longer happens. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's also really interesting that not by, for a totally different reason, you choose to manufacture so so close within 35 uh, kilometers, probably 20 miles for, mm -hmm. for people listening in the States, that a lot of the supply chain issues that 
uh, brands are facing and starting to get into Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or even delivery, it could get stuck in one part of that supply chain. So by choosing uh, from the get-go to have that ethical supply chain, you were able to, uh, and I'm sure that you'll maybe not able to is the, the right word, but your ability to adapt to the changing landscape during COVID was so much different than a lot of other merchants who maybe were uh, constantly manufacturing overseas, just, just in time production where uh, the garments will be, or the apparel will be ready uh, the first week of the month uh, in China, it's air shipped or just like speed shipped by the by container uh, to hit North America by the second week of the month. And then it's off and in the hands of the consumer by the end of that month, by the and it's just really paying, playing the game of managing your, your net payments of making sure that inventory moves before you have to pay the the supplier for your next order and just keeping everything going. Yeah. So I think that's a so I think that's just a really natural segue into how COVID impacted your <clears throat> your business because we know that some things we were talking about before jumping on the call, uh, getting a Peloton bike for instance, or really any sort of home workout equipment. Good luck. I have friends who had to bike her they had to drive to Hamilton, which is an hour outside of the city, way, way farther than your, where your factories are just to buy a bicycle that wasn't $8,000 um, for the summer. So consumer habits have definitely, definitely changed, but in terms of uh, premium fashion, how did that, how did COVID impact in Zirkle? Yeah. So that's a very multi-layered question. Yep. Um, and one of our like core values at Encircled is really transparency. So I'm happy to kind of go into it in a broad scale. So um, I think one of the things like to talk about with our business is originally it was inspired by travel and then it kind of pivoted in 2016 to be more focused on the idea of building a minimalist closet. So the idea of fewer pieces, but better pieces, more ethically made. And like you said, a premium apparel brand because we're made in Canada, as I'm sure many people who, uh, you know, listen to the show know that has a cost to it. It's usually about yep. 10, 20 times more expensive to manufacture, um, if not more. Oh, wow. um, and we try to price ourselves fairly cost competitive to like Lululemon because yep. we are direct to consumer. We want people to try ethical fashion and to really buy into it. So we knew that we had to come in at an accessible price point. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was really important. But at the end of the day, it's still premium. Um, so yep. when COVID originally it first hit in Canada, um, we immediately saw our sales just fall off. Like we were having, we were having a great year. We were up mid double digits uh, versus oh, last wow. year. Um, we, we like, we implemented um, traction EOS at our business. We were like firing on all our rocks. We we're hitting all our targets. We we're just like, yeah. so, so everything's good. going good yeah. and, and it takes, like, I think everyone listening to this and everyone who knows entrepreneur knows like there is no such thing as the overnight success. You always hear the joke of the 15 yeah. year overnight success, but it, uh, and it just, it hurts me to even say this out loud, but it sounds like you really had a win in your sales. Things yeah. are going really good <laughs> uh, on pace to be like, well, maybe not necessarily a record growth year, but for a uh, business with a high cost of goods sold, which is any, um, any physical good, you're really getting that momentum to hit a little bit of critical, critical mass. Yes. And then COVID hit and just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we had just pre-ordered one of, we do, we use a lot of pre-orders in our business. So that's one yep. way we bridge our cash flow. So we will pre-order a product about two to three weeks before delivery. So mm -hmm. we pre-ordered our first ever made in Canada, fully plastic free, sustainable moto jacket with a very high price point. 
and then everything shuts down, including all of our factories. So people have now pre-ordered and paid for this moto jacket and the factory is completely shut down with no mm -hmm. lens. And the factory that was making it in Toronto has been around forever and that's run by two kind of like older sisters. So I knew yeah. they wouldn't go back into work. So I was like, oh my God, now how oh, do we take no. these orders? We don't want people to cancel. So it, yeah. it started a snowball effect. And then immediately we saw our sales go from like, I think year to date, we were up maybe 50% versus last year and oh, they wow. went minus 80. And I was like, holy uh, crap. You can swear, <laughs> you, you, you can swear on the podcast if you want. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Oh, yeah. I was really sure. Um, uh, yeah. That's not exactly what I said. I said, I um, but um, yeah, so immediately I, you know, my background, as I mentioned, is finance. So I went into like uh, damage control mode. You know, we have a, a single investor in the business who's a long-term investor and, you know, we put our heads together and we we're like, okay, how can we stop the bleeding? This is a lot of cash because we'd staffed up for 50 to 70% growth. Um, and now we're down 130% versus last year. What is like, this is not good. This is like bankruptcy level. Yeah. So yeah, that's not, yeah, it was scary. So you don't hear a lot of stories that begin with, we were down 130% over <laughs> last year that have happy endings. Yeah, but it gets better. <laughs> um, so immediately we had to furlough some staff. Like I knew that we had to do that. We put, unfortunately we had a bunch of interns who we'd hired. We hired two summer interns full time and we had a production intern and it was, and we were about to hire two more people and we just cut all of that and we had to, we paid out severance. Like we made sure we found them jobs. Like we successfully, I say rehomed, but like I'm speaking about a dog, but like I successfully yep. rejobbed all of them somewhere. So they all found employment, which was great, but we couldn't have interns. I knew it just wouldn't work. And then we had to furlough um, a bunch of employees because initially we weren't even allowed to ship product. Like that was the yeah. message. It was like, you can't even go into your office. Um, so it was very unclear in Ontario, which is the province we're in what you could do and couldn't do. It was very uh, messy. So supply chain was allowed to operate, but it wasn't clear if like, supply chain in an office could operate or if it was only like three PLs who had emergent, um, you know, essential products in them. So yeah. like Amazon. And that was the other thing too. There were a lot of questionable things of if I'm not shipping out uh, masks, hand sanitizer, PPE, yeah. uh, both from a legal standpoint of, am I allowed to be using the resources to get this out right now? But also the moral standpoint of like, as beautiful as that moto jacket is right now, if it's taking away a shipment from getting PPE to a hospital. Yeah do we want to keep the, that lane of the supply chain open, especially, and I'm assuming this is sort of late March now yeah. uh, when everything was, was totally up in the air of what's really going on. And I remember um, like Lakeshore with the streetcar and everything was just a ghost town yeah. at 8.45 AM. So I'm going to, I never thought I would see my lifetime. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, you know, those two weeks were really in flux for a lot of businesses here because we didn't want to do something illegal and, you know, we always, uh, being an ethical business and being a certified B Corp, it's important for us to really consider the community and everything that we do as well. So mm -hmm. um, we essentially like stopped shipping um, for at least like a week. And then uh, we started to decide, okay, we'll come back, we'll ship orders. Um, but like we put our whole site on pre-order basically, and then our sales basically stopped. Um, yeah. and, we, and then we were like, okay, well, maybe we can have one person in the office. She can drive there. Um, and that, that will be safe because there's nobody in the building and she can ship. And so we started to make some decisions around that. And then we realized there was a big opportunity to provide non-medical masks because there was mm -hmm. a massive shortage in the 
industry and people were buying up medical masks and using them for personal use and when yeah. those really needed to be in the hands of professional like healthcare professionals um yeah. so we talked to one of our factories and we were able to start making non-medical masks fairly quickly right at the end of march um and yeah. as soon as we put them on our website we were like oh maybe we'll sell 200 200 went in like five minutes like it was like oh, wow because i remember i ordered some yeah um it yeah. was actually like the first masks that i ordered yeah. because they weren't everywhere at the time and it was to your point of you would see a convenience store selling n95s at yeah. like two bucks each for a disposable mask and it's just for a number of reasons it just it felt wrong yeah 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 so we basically started with that and then we realized there was like demand that we couldn't even supply with that production factory which was crazy because we're like wow. who's gonna work we need a factory that's open because a lot of them were shut down uh, only the ones that were open were making like essential um, gowns and it was just like a crazy time because like we literally had hospitals emailing us asking us we, if we could manufacture like surgical gowns and caps like there was wow. a shortage of a supply chain because everything was shut down from coming in overseas mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people at that time realized oh my gosh we really have cut off um, you know the feet of people working in Canada and manufacturing we don't have a manufacturing supply chain no. without overseas manufacturing like we really need to look at this and so you saw brands like Canada Goose step up and make surgical scrubs in their yeah. factories here because nobody else could they couldn't get them um yeah. it's crazy so um we were able through a referral to find another factory in toronto that we'd seen before but we'd never worked with them and they were able to take our masks um and we redid the mask design and they started making tens of thousands of masks for us and that basically oh, wow. uh, went up on our website um you know, we had our best month ever in April in terms of top line revenue. Um, wow. And it was wow. almost because of masks and then sweatpants. Like we sell, we sell athleisure essentially. So it's like versatile, dress up, dress down, comfy apparel for women. Yeah. And so working from home, sweatpants, leggings, mm -hmm. all those things, really important to people, very comfort focused. Um, so, yeah. you know, our sales popped off there and into May. But what started to happen in May, and this is like the journey of COVID, is we started to run out of product um, oh, no. because all of our regular factories were closed except for the ones making masks. Um, and then, you know, you come down again and then you come. So it's been like, COVID's been like this. Like, I mean, it, it has. It's been like this. It's like, like that's been the most, uh, just the best summary of COVID. And even times where it's like, okay, you know what? This is kind of nice. I don't need to go out and see people I don't want to see that much. I can say it and bake bread to, uh, you know what, this isn't that bad to, wow, what if someone uh, had COVID that just went to the grocery store that I did? And it's almost that of, I, I don't know how I'm going to live. And it's emotionally, it's that same roller coaster of turbulence of, oh, this isn't too, too bad into just a crash of what, like, I might not see my mom again. It's, I can't yeah. go anywhere because I can't infect anyone that I love. Like, yeah. I would feel awful if I gave it to my, 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 my my parents and they died or something and yeah. it's like these these turbulent roller coaster yeah. i think that that's is so interesting that supply chain and just how the products changed from a lot more travel and business wear to uh what's necessarily maybe not going to be on webcam or if you're just hanging around your house um if you're like me and maybe you didn't stock up on the exercise equipment in another industry mm -hmm. that did very well and yeah. a little bit more on the baking Maybe you need something a little, bit, a little bit more give that's a little bit more comfortable than uh, than jeans to be to be working in. But another work from home hack as well as everyone's habits, consumer habits just shifted overnight. 
-hmm. when you're working from home, sometimes it's nice to have a workout fit or just to literally even just change in your pants to have a demarcation point for your mental health. Yeah. It's really cool to think uh, that obviously not the main goal of your product, but that your products could be helping people just cope to working from home if they don't have um, a great setup. If maybe they're in a one bedroom apartment, because I can see you're, you're doing this interview from, from your bedroom. Yeah. And it's when you're working from the same place that you sleep in, you want to, to feel different when you go to bed than when you're doing the interview. Because at one yeah. point you want to be relaxed. At the other point, you want to turn your personality up 150%. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's been a journey. That's the only way to describe it. And it's been up and down. And it's been that it definitely, I mean, it's funny because I, I had dinner for the first time on a patio uh, a couple nights ago with a couple of friends. And they, one of them works in corporate. And she was saying how she feels just so off kilter from this experience. And I said, I actually feel stronger as an entrepreneur out of this experience. Because my God, if you can survive COVID as a business owner and leader and not totally lose it my gosh what an exercise in resiliency and leadership and you know i don't i'm not saying every moment was like my best moment in leadership ever but, but you know i think we've adapted really well as a team and everybody's working remotely you know our studio is now open for uh pickups like contact free pickups from customers as well as like we have probably a maximum of two people in the studio and we're doing we're starting to redo photo shoots in the studio but yeah. i mean it's been just like we designed a whole the product i'm wearing right now it's a reversible t-shirt yeah. designed oh, cool. totally in isolation so with like contactless door drops between like our production person our design person our factory like which you don't realize but even just feeling different fabric samples yeah. of how it will feel on yeah. both sides when you when you go to reverse it it's just little things like that that you take for granted that yeah can you do it virtually? Sure, but it would take an hour in person to just everyone pass around and be like, no, yeah. that one's the clear winner. But you've got to make it work, right? Because like it's, you, do. You, you don't have a choice. So yeah, it would be more efficient for us to all get in a room, but it would also be very reckless as a business for us to do that. So we just kind of like, I remember going into the office because we had so many shipments because of the masks that we had yeah. somebody shipping during the day. And then when we had somebody like they clean and then somebody would come ship in the evening until like 10 or 11 p.m. So I remember oh, wow. going into the office at like 11 p.m. sneaking in to get like this t-shirt to check yeah. it, do a fit test because that's the only time I could actually go in the office where there weren't people there and where it mm -hmm. wasn't like a high risk situation. So it's been like, yeah, pretty crazy. But I, I'm proud that we were able to recall all of our employees. So we're now like back to full staffing, so awesome. um, which is really great. And we're somewhat back on plan with product launches. I think the biggest challenge right now for us is um, because one of the things running a local business, you get very used to the fact that you don't have to stock up on inventory because we can turn products so quickly. So normally, like pre-COVID, we could turn products two to four weeks if we needed more um, manufacturing. But um, that means we don't carry a lot of inventory. And so as we yeah. start to run out of inventory, now we realize that, you know, in case there is a second wave that comes back, we really need to be stocked up. And we're going into like, potentially the time of Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So we need to really make sure we have coverage because that's a really important quarter for e-commerce and retail as a whole. So right now is basically like we're just throwing cash into manufacturing, trying to get product and stock up so that we have inventory coverage into 2021, basically. Yeah, wow. Which is going from two, maybe six weeks of, of inventory at any given time to six months, yeah. which is a huge, huge thing. Um, and opens up another question because you did um, mention it a little bit before of having sort of one long-term investor has have those plans change anything of how you you're looking to secure any capital obviously you said top line sales were very good how you looked at any sort of different capital options going back to 
um, to that investor looking at some of the, the programs because I know that there's uh, a lot of different options out there and we're actually launching a series called Best Interest where um, investors and, and merchants and entrepreneurs are talking about that, that process of securing capital for this very reason because either your business has transformed and the products that you're selling are different or maybe you need a, a little bit of money to bridge through but for a lot of brands it's just the needs are just different. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that's a, so I'm just curious if you are looking at any um, other financing or capital options leading into the new year for hopefully yeah. what what it, what is growth and, and a good pivot, mm -hmm. pivot that way, but as well as just other ways that you're preparing for, for BFCM because it's there's no reason not to think it's not going to be big this year. I think yeah. it could be like, uh, I think it could be almost like a full month. I think we're seeing Amazon start to try to steal that by moving Prime Day. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously inventory logistics are huge, but we don't really have a baseline to compare it because if your best month ever from just a revenue standpoint was May, how much bigger can you expect that Black Friday to, <laughs> to be? So it's, it, yeah. it, it's hard. I mean, yeah, so a few things there. Like we um, we recently brought on a Facebook ads freelancer because I was running mm -hmm. all of our paid ads for Instagram and Facebook, and that obviously wasn't very efficient <laughs> to use of my time. Yeah. Um, and she's been doing a great job of scaling her ads, but again, like we keep running out of inventory, so that's continuously our biggest like Achilles heel, I guess. So mm -hmm. for me, that's like my biggest priority coming into Q4 and Q1 of 2021 is to look at like make sure we have that coverage. Um, we are cash flow positive, so we are able to pull our own cash into ordering um, and into inventory management. But um, for me, we're not looking at taking on an additional investor this year. We did take the SEBA loan um, during the height of the pandemic. Or not SEBA, sorry. Um, oh my God. CERB? CERB. No, no, a SEBA. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like getting served and see There's a lot. Too many acronyms. There are. Um, everything. It's like checking all these dashboards that are just yeah. like, I, I didn't realize I needed the command center just to know what's going on. I with know. So we did take the SIBA loan um, because yep. essentially it's $10,000 in free money and we needed the cash flow at the time actually for the production. So we, we intend to pay that back. Um, and we're trying to qualify for some grants and stuff like that. Plus we got the payroll subsidy, not the full one, not the... In, in Canada, they had a 75% and a 10%. So we qualified for the 10%. Um, so I think we're doing okay financially. It's just a lot of cat. I mean, this is the time of year when everybody kind of starts to plan. Like we're trying to start really early um, for planning for BFCM, primarily because like you said, we're planning potentially to do something for the whole month. Um, so we may be, one of the big controversies with um, ethical fashion, slow fashion, whatever people want to call it, is Black Friday, Cyber Monday. It's very triggering for people because they feel like you shouldn't be like um, speeding people up to purchase in a sale on one day or two days. Yeah. Like it creates too much panic buying and then that's like against the principles of slow fashion. So we're thinking about how we can kind of shift this a little bit and like do something maybe a month long. Um, which okay. would also help us, I think, from an inventory management perspective, too. Because yeah. when you do, like, 90% of your sales in November in four days, um, not only logistically is it really incredibly difficult, but cash flow <laughs> just becomes, like, you know, you're, you're losing money for the entire month of November, and then all of a sudden you're, like, you have too much money. And so it's, yeah, like... Yeah, just bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. Yeah. So and it's, it's, like, it's almost like being Santa Claus, where the joke is that Santa works one day a year to deliver all this stuff. But it's, like, everything, all the planning and everything goes towards yeah. this weekend, and it's make or break. 
and but the, the rumor is for everybody like that's it, well, when everybody gets profitable for the most part like the that's year. why it's called black friday or at least yeah. like the, one of the rumors is that it's because when re old retailers like macy's would actually go into the black for the first time all year yeah and it's true like i mean last year that was definitely true for us we lost a lot of money in the first couple of quarters this year we were profitable in q1 um and hopefully in q2 who knows q3 probably not but like we, um, you know, we've been able to generate and set ourselves up in a financial way where we can self-fund our production, which is good. Um, but in the future, like in 2021, depending on where we go with the business, um, we had a lot of goals this year to get into more physical retail, which are obviously, it's very different now. Um, so that would have required a big capital injection. So it could potentially be something we look at um, in the new year. Yeah, no, absolutely, that's awesome. Uh, and just we are wrapping wrapping up here in the last few minutes. Yeah. So if you have any um, any other stories about how uh, you continue to really deliver that the exceptional customer support and customer service that your customers are expecting, especially from a, a premium brand, mm -hmm. how how did you navigate that during during COVID? Because we saw all over the place, obviously orders being delayed. So yeah, everyone wanted to know where that was if they paid for something and then you weren't being able to deliver it. So I think there's yeah. You could just have the, the wheel of customer support nightmares and just spin it and choose one and you probably had to, to yeah. deal with it. So there's sort of an yeah. overarching way that, that you did or any advice for, for other entrepreneurs that mm -hmm. are just being inundated, anything that, uh, that they can do in some, some way that they can keep delivering exceptional customer experiences. Yeah, I mean, we love using Gorgeous for our customer experience. Our team, it, it enables people to collaborate remotely, which is obviously very important at this time. You know, we've mm -hmm. always had one virtual customer service associate based in Whitby, which isn't even that far in Ontario. Um, it's pretty far. Yeah, it's like 45 <laughs> minutes from downtown. Um, but it was really good for our team to be able to work on things as, as well to be able to get to, you know, Facebook and Instagram comments really quickly and stuff like that and DMs and because people come at you from every single channel nowadays they and it do. can be very difficult to If you're that. promoting there, be ready to do customer support there. Right, and exactly. And the other thing is like the, the patience level, um, what we noticed in particular with the masks is there's a lot of, well, I think in general, there's a lot of anxiety going on mm -hmm. uh, for everybody. So like their patience level of shipping and expectations were matching like what Amazon Prime would be. So like they wanted something shipped out the next day. We were only mm -hmm. shipping a couple times a week. so. Um, what becomes really important to me is like just continuous communication with the customers. So um, we would, with the masks particularly, because a lot of them we had to put on pre-order, um, we would proactively go out through Gorgeous and email the customers um, and say, hey, thanks for your mask order. Um, here's the timeline, blah, blah, blah. And then we'd touch base in a week and we'd say like, hey, here's the timeline. It's going to ship this week. And we would really try and get ahead of the conversation versus mm -hmm. like proact or retroactively dealing with a customer complaint. Um, that said, like, I think the other really important thing is keeping your response time down. So making sure you had like really adequate coverage. A lot of the brands that I saw getting just, um, slammed on social media for their issues with customer service, um, mm -hmm. just had really poor response times. Like one of them, it's a yeah. manufacturer in Toronto. I saw comments like nobody responded for two weeks to this person. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we try to stay under yeah. five hours. Like <laughs> you got to like, get back to people. Well, it's bad for the customer. If, if a customer has yeah. asked a second time, you've lost that LTV. Yeah. Um, and that creates a negative experience. And, and even though the math customers. It's painful. Nobody wants to deal with that. 
Yeah, and like the mask customer is not, you know, we had men shop, you bought masks from us. Yeah. We're a female only, like women only brand. We don't have menswear, but we wanted people to have a positive experience because I viewed it as a potential avenue for customer acquisition. So like- What absolutely is, because it's that first experience with, with the brand yeah. and it's, I mean, you you got an MBA, you know, probably way better than anyone, how much easier it is to get a second sale from someone than a first purchase. Yeah, yeah. You send them an email and say, hey, buy more stuff and that will convert. Yeah. You don't need any call to action. It's just, hey, you bought this from us. You might like this. Not trying to find audiences on Facebook, not uh, bombarding them with reviews and social proof. If they have that good first experience, they'll order a second, third, and hopefully several times down down the road. Yeah, we saw our new customer uh, percentage go up to like, I think at its peak, maybe 80%, which is massive. Like massive. And all organic search. So people just finding us. So we'd set up some pages. I'd optimize the search at the beginning. And because we were so quick to market with the masks ahead of everybody, we were really able, we were on page one of Google. I think we were the fourth behind Walmart or something. So we were really highly connected. So it just drove massive organic search for us. So I, it was really important for me to make those mass customers feel like they're important, that they're valued, that we get back to them really quickly, that we give them continuous updates and that we provide like a really premium level of customer service because at the end of the day, like, um, that's the expectation, but it's also like how we, we want customers to feel really good interacting with us. Like another core value of us is thoughtfulness. So mm-hmm. if we can instill something in that conversation or, um, in that experience that we have chatting with them through gorgeous, it makes them feel valued. It makes them feel important to us because they are, they're really important to us. Um, yeah. and well, that- not to make you feel unimportant, but I need to restart my, uh, my camera cause it's oh, going to no. stop recording in 10 seconds. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Perfectly real. So making yeah. customers feel really important in, uh, in gorgeous. Yeah. It's really important to make customers feel valued because they are valuable. And, and like you said, like getting a new customer is like gold. So you want to treat them like gold and you want them to you come do. back or tell their friends about this great experience. So that keeping our response times low, uh, making sure we had adequate customer love coverage and that somebody was always going in there and responding to people was just like mm-hmm. really important. So we tracked those metrics. We pulled them from, gorgeous and we tracked them on like a dashboard and we made sure that you know if it was going up because at certain points we had we didn't have full staff so we had my operations manager shipping product which is not ideal so other people had to jump into cut the gorgeous and like log in and help with like customer inquiries that normally wouldn't do it um but that's just kind of what you have to do when when things are topsy-turvy like in covid you know yeah yeah absolutely and it's and I think it's really interesting that you you call it your customer love team and not just customer support or customer mm-hmm. experience. I, I really like that because that's what it is for all the reasons that you mentioned that at the very least, if it's a new customer, hopefully get a positive review. Mm-hmm. Ideally, they tell a few friends and they all make multiple orders, but the, the, the truth is probably somewhere in between that, between never hearing from them again and maybe getting a review where they order once or twice down the road or they refer someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's just really powerful there. Um, apologies for, for everyone watching the, the second half of this interview where my, my camera's all, all tilted. Another COVID challenge is just record, <laughs> trying to record. I mean, you mentioned it, trying to get, uh, get content during COVID, but yeah. But Christy, we're, we're way over time. It's an, an absolute pleasure just hearing, <laughs> hearing your story um, and how you adapted through BFCM. I'm glad that it did have a happy, I, I don't want to call it a happy ending because we're not out of it yet, but I'm glad it took a very happy turn in the uh in the right direction where can people find you i know that you have a podcast i know you do a little bit of mm-hmm. consulting as well also more importantly where can they buy uh where can they support in circle 
Sure. So you can find me on Instagram at Christy Sumer or at encircled underscore is our Instagram. Our website's encircled.ca in Canada. Um, so you can, or encircled.co if you're in the U.S. or outside of the U.S. Um, and yeah, my podcast is Brave and Boss. It's a podcast for female founders and talks all about e-commerce strategy and all that good stuff that I love chatting about. Um, and I think I needed a real outlet for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. really popular. So it's, it's helpful. And I like it because I like your podcast because it keeps it, it keeps it real. And it's not, there's a lot of stuff there that's not just for female founders as well. There's a lot of good tactical advice for any hands-on operator um, as well. At least I, I hope that, that, I, that I can listen to it and not. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, not you definitely can. I say that because we try and niche down a little bit, but yeah. the content is relevant for anybody and you get the real behind the scenes of, of the brand and yeah. what I'm working it, on, what I'm thinking about. So it's, it's pretty true. It's when I was uh, running our brand, it's, it's nice to know that you're not alone, just, just listening to, to someone else out, out yeah. there, which is. Yeah. And we have a nice. Facebook group too for um, listeners of the podcast, uh, facebook.com slash group slash brave and boss. Um, we have about 100 entrepreneurs in there so it's been a really great support mechanism i think for everybody just going through this challenging time yeah absolutely well christy thanks so much i can't wait to publish this and i think that's a wrap okay great awesome